We've been in a very wonderful series, and we are now getting to a part that it's getting richer and richer and richer. And by the time we are done, by the time we are done, there is a place that we'll be at in our lives. Praise God. Now, the series we are on is the word of his grace. And we took our time, if you remember, we've had, I think, four or five sermons on this, right? We talked about the law, then we talked about atonement, and then we talked about the ultimate messenger. You remember that one, right? And then we talked about the ultimate message. And um, today's sermon, I looked for a flashy title, I couldn't find one, so I'll just say it as it is. Today's sermon is, You Shall Know the Truth. You Shall Know the Truth. I would like us to begin by going into something that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. I love the book of Timothy because... Paul was writing to a young pastor. Now you get why I love it, eh? And so it, it, it teaches a lot. It tells you how to handle different kinds of things in the church. And now, let's start from verse 3 for context. Paul is talking and he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. Not some, not a few, but all men to be saved. But praise God, his desire doesn't end there. He goes on to say, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why you notice when he sent out the disciples to preach the great commission. I know sometimes we read it as he said, go and win souls. That's not the entirety of what he said. He said, go make disciples. And the very next sentence was teaching them what I have taught you. In short, his desire was beyond just being saved. It's for people to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's like a person has a baby. A person doesn't have a baby, so the baby should remain a baby. They want them to come to a place where they are a fully functioning human being who can make the right decisions. That's God's desire for you. Praise God. Somebody say the knowledge of the truth. And so our main text comes from a conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees. For now, we'll just highlight one part, but later on we'll come back to it so that we see more of the conversation. But Jesus said something very interesting in John chapter 8, verse 32. You know those verses people know, but they don't know where it is. This is one of them. You will realize when I read it. One, two, three, go. I hope you've now known the verse. But do you know what I realize when you are reading it as a chorus? Sometimes we don't really read what's there. We read what's in our head. Because I could hear people using a word that wasn't there. So look, use what's there and read. One, two, three, go. Have you noticed it doesn't say the truth shall set you free? It says the truth shall make you free. But in our heads, we've always known. We'll see later the difference. We are going somewhere. So this is Jesus speaking. And he's telling his people of this place we can all come to, which is a place of freedom. And this place of freedom comes when you know the truth. I'm telling you, freedom is a good place to be at. Freedom is a good place to be at. Let me give you an example. I've had several conversations with people. Somebody knows this person is not right for them. This person is treating them horribly. But then they tell themselves, if not them, then who? That's not making a decision from freedom. That's bondage. 
That's bondage. One of these days, I'll share some interesting thoughts on freedom. Because freedom is it's amazing. It's what Jesus came for. Remember, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What really is this freedom? Are you aware that if a person wants to make it to heaven, they want to live a godly life. They want to do what's right, but they keep on doing what's wrong. Are they really free? The one who's got the power to say no, the one who's got self-control is the one who's actually free because self-control gives you the ability to say no. Oh, but you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So you may be listening to me today and you have been in this place of bondage. I don't know what bondage it may be. But I'm telling you, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And praise God will be delivering the truth this morning. Now, I want us to answer a few questions in today's sermon. One of the questions I want us to answer is, what really is the truth according to the scriptures? I want us to answer questions such as, seeing as there is the truth, what else is there? Could it be that there is what is called a lie? Could it be that there is what is called a fact? Could it be that one can have knowledge in part but has not yet come to the place of the truth? Having the wrong knowledge can change someone's destiny. It can absolutely mess up a person's destiny because they knew the wrong thing. As I was thinking about this, a scripture I read in the Old Testament comes to mind. Take me to Genesis 37, verse 31. It really comes to mind. There was this man called Jacob. Jacob was a son of Isaac. And if you remember, Isaac was the son of Abraham. So there was a blessing that was delivered. It started with Abraham. It went down to Jacob. It went down to Isaac, then went down to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And of his sons, one was his favorite. A certain young man called Joseph. And so the other brothers decided to kill him. But somehow they felt pity, so they left him in a pit, and then afterwards they sold him. And so when they sold him, they came back to Joseph, and this is what they say. They took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the gods. There's a strange feedback I'm getting. Just try to work on it in a minute. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the gods, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? Can you imagine? So they went to their father and they told him a lie. Let's go on. And he recognized it and said, it's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes, put a sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. The man had a funeral over a boy who was not dead. Simply because he was given the wrong information. There are people who are mourning, who are crying. Because somebody has not told them the truth. You know, we can't just sit down here when there's somebody who's mourning and crying because somebody has not told them Jesus delivers. Someone has not told them Jesus heals. Someone has not told them that though their sins may be many, there's someone who paid for them. 
so that people started crying. The man at the funeral. He didn't only have a funeral, he made a vow. Uh -huh. And all his sons and daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, I shall go down to the grave to my son in mourning. In short, he made a vow that he will mourn until he dies. And you know something I find interesting about this? Have you observed that the blessing stopped manifesting? There was a famine during this period. He's not the first one to have experienced a famine. Abraham experienced a famine. He was okay. Isaac experienced a famine. Him even sold in a famine and ripped a hundredfold. Jacob experienced a famine, never heard from God. He had to send his children to Israel, possibly to beg, or else God's promised nation would be dead. He had the wrong information. Now I'm sure we know the story. A few things happened. And let's go to Genesis 45, verse 25. Now his brothers had gone to Egypt and they met Joseph, who was now the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh's assistant, he was the, the prime minister. And they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. Sometimes when the good news is brought to you, you may be tempted not to believe it. It may sound like it's too good to be true. That's why it's called the gospel. Some, I remember the first time I heard that in Christ I'm the righteousness of God. I was shocked. I was shocked. I thought there must be a different quality. I can't have the righteousness God has. It's too big. I was more comfortable hearing somebody pray, Lord, we are nothing but grasshoppers before you. My heart was like, yeah, that, that's okay. Because it's easier to associate with what seems like. But then when the good news about the gospel is told to you, if you're not careful, you may not believe it. And so... Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. You will see something interesting. Uh -huh. Next verse. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, was revived. <laughs> oh, glory. <laughs> there is something about knowing the truth. Suddenly, the old vow that he made didn't apply anymore because it applied to another knowledge. But when he knew the truth, when the truth that Joseph was actually alive and that gifts were even brought to him, when the truth of Joseph's being alive came, his spirit revived. There is something about the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Now, if the truth about Joseph being alive can revive Jacob's spirit, how much more the truth about Jesus being alive? What can it do to a person? You shall know the truth. Now, why is this subject of truth important? We've been talking about grace. We've been talking about the word of his grace. And remember, we established that the ultimate messenger is Jesus. No one can replace what Jesus said. All we do now is we echo what he said. We, we speak on his behalf. And we cannot change the message. Not even an angel can change the message. Paul said, even if an angel from heaven, not from hell, from heaven, came and preached another message, let them be cursed. So now, why are we talking about this thing called truth? Because of John 1 and verse 17. We are told something that Jesus came with. It wasn't just grace. There's something grace comes with. What does it say? For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and... And have you noticed some of the things Jesus begins to say about truth? He's speaking to the woman at the well. What did he, what did he tell her? He said, a time is coming when true worshippers will worship in spirit and truth. So this truth aspect is important. This aspect of truth cannot be ignored. It's important. You have to know the truth. 
You have to know the truth. No wonder the Bible says, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. I remember a few years ago, when we were starting, when we were starting the word empowerment movement, a number of people came to advise me, and one of the things I was told is, you know, these things you're doing, just try, but you know, don't really expect much because young people don't really like God. And I was told the young people are wild. But was that the truth? The truth is Jesus is the desire of the nations. So if you present Jesus, there's something in them, something revives, something clicks. There's something that resonates. You shall know the truth. I'm tempted to preach, take heed what you hear. <laughs> okay, now let's understand a few things. I really want us to be on the same page here so that as we go further in the series, we'll all be on the same page. Let's understand a few things. If something is scientific, we'll call it a fact. If it's scientific, meaning it's empirical knowledge, it's knowledge that can be examined, Knowledge that can be studied. You can do an experiment here, go do the same experiment somewhere else, it will still work the same way. For example, the law of gravity here is the same law of gravity I left at home. It didn't change. It's, it's scientific. It's a fact. Praise God. And I praise God also that a fact is not absolute. Facts can change if it meets somebody higher. <laughs> and, 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 and I'll tell you something. Um, that's where now the aspect of miracles comes in. And I believe in miracles. And you know, there are certain statements we make. Sometimes they come from a good heart. But if we are not careful, we can rob ourselves of the fullness of the experience of God. For example, I, I heard somebody say, hey, what's this about miracles? Just waking up every day is a miracle. I understood where they, come, where they were coming from. We must be grateful for waking up every day. But if you read the scriptures, you'll never find Jeremiah woke up, what a miracle. <laughs> there, was, there was something supernatural. There was a fact that was defeated. There was a Jesus walking on water. There was an Elisha healing leprosy. Now, and here's something I'll tell you. Don't deny yourself the fullness of the experience of God. Don't settle for anything less than what Jesus offered. You know what he offered? He said we can pray that let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning... If there is something on earth that's contradicting, we can call for a supernatural power. Praise God. So there is what is called a fact. I'm not even dwelling on facts, eh? <laughs> and they teach this every day. And you know, we learn so many theories. I'm sure you know, I'm always studying every year. There's something I'm studying. And if there's something I've learned, they can't agree. Especially my field, social science. They can't agree. This one will say this, the other guy will say this, the other guy will say this, the other guy will say this. There's no one whose knowledge has proven to be absolute, especially when it comes to dealing with human beings. Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Now, so there's what is called a fact. Then there's what is called a lie. There is what is called a lie. Let's look at something Jesus said in the same conversation where he talked about you shall know the truth. Now, please note, I talked about rightly dividing the word of, right, rightly dividing the word of truth. Eh? We're going to go to John 8.44. Don't highlight it yet. Now, this scripture is one of the reasons why as you grow in the faith, you must develop a proper Bible study plan. If you depend on dropping the Bible and then you read if whatever you open, that's your verse. <laughs> John 8, 44. <laughs> you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> Imagine if this is the verse it drops on for you that day. <laughs> what will you do? 
you must understand who Jesus was talking to. So he's speaking to the Pharisees, and these guys were denying that he's a Christ. And then he tells them, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. So if somebody married one of these guys, the devil was their father-in-law. Okay. <laughs> and it says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he's a liar and the father of it. If, give me the, it's, I think the NIV, you'll see something that it says. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he's a liar and the father of lies. <laughs> Praise God. Now, and then, no. Now, let's, let's put it into context. Now, I, 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 I want you to tell me something. So somebody comes to me and says, Hey, pastor, you need to fast. Why? I, I received this, this message I really received. There's someone I'm bringing for your meeting. This person is a serious satanist. And he has said for a person to deliver him, he has said. Where did he learn from? His father, the devil. Who, whose, whose native language is lying. I'm telling you, people have, I can tell you something. There are people in families who've been isolated because they heard a liar. Satan will never want to bring peace. He will always want to bring confusion. And he takes advantage. I'm telling you, somebody was, you know, you see a case in a family, somebody used to drink every day. Their liver got damaged. They would see the person drinking. Even on medication, they were still drinking. And then after the person dies, they go and consult who killed them. And the person says, it's that rich uncle. Listening to a liar. Listen. I've told you this before. One of the worst mistakes I made when I got saved, it took me some time to recover. When I got saved, I was still in high school. And the people who looked like the most spiritual people were always researching. And so I joined them. And I read everything there is about the Illuminati. <laughs> I, stopped, I stopped praying out of faith. There were certain hours which we were told were the most demonic hours. Then, and, and as if, and you know the world is so funny. For some reason I was always awake. I would be asleep. Boom, zero three, I'm awake. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a lie. It was a lie from the pit of hell. And that's why you must be careful. You must be careful. You don't get your knowledge from demons. At their times, Jesus confronted them, yes, but demons, he did not allow them to testify of him. Have you observed when they would testify you are the Christ, you would say, shut up. He didn't want his testimony to be of demons. He wanted it to be of God. You can see another example. Have you ever read in Acts 16, when Paul and, it should be Paul and Silas, where we get, the story just, be, just before that. That's one of my favorite songs. I don't know why they don't sing it. It is well. And now, Paul and Silas, they were walking, and there's this girl who was a diviner. And it says for three days she kept saying, these are people of God. Keep listening to them. They are telling you the truth. Paul was getting angry in his spirit. And by the third day, he casted out that devil. Why was he angry? Because the moment people were going to believe Paul because they believed her, then the glory goes to that devil. And I'll tell you something. So a lie, even if it reveals a fact, remember what I talked when I talked about the ultimate messenger. The strength of knowledge is also seen in who gives it. If the information comes from Satan, it is a lie. Be careful. 
Sometimes you can have a dream. And this happens especially if you're a prophetic person. Because you trust your dreams. Now, if you're not careful, you can trust your dreams more than you trust the word of God. Someone very prophetic once sent me a message. I dreamed you died today. First, I didn't know why they sent me that message. And that day, my body wasn't feeling well. And I, it kept getting worse during the day. And I'll never forget, I heard a voice. It was in the evening, I heard a voice say, the moment you sleep, you're gone. And I immediately decided to go and sleep. He was not going to be boss over me. And interestingly, that's the night I saw a vision about this ministry. Some people here, maybe you've been hearing voices in your head. Voices telling you you're not good enough. Voices saying, God, does it, God hates you. He's given you too many chances. You've failed. All those voices, that's a lie. Learn to say, it is a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. And here's the thing about a lie. If you believe it, it will work. But you shall know the truth. Those guys were bound by lies, but you shall know the truth. It's a lie that you'll never come out of that. It's a lie that you'll never be joyful again. It's a lie that you are just meant to be sad. It's a lie. It's a lie. The truth is that the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. It's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's a, it's a fact that your body has got that sickness. But the truth is that you are healed. And truth reigns over facts. That thing can change. That thing can change. That growth can change. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Okay. So now, there is what is called a lie. But you know something? There is also a place which we can call insufficient knowledge about something. Insufficient knowledge. Give me a look. Give me chapter 13. Somebody say insufficient knowledge. Say one more time. Give me, sorry, give me chapter 11, verse 52. This scripture touches me. It says, what to you lawyers? Council Mulenga is not talking about you. Who are the lawyers? The lawyers were the experts in the law. So it can also, other versions will read, woe to you teachers. And it says, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves. And those who were entering, you hindered. Suddenly knowledge is a door. Sudden knowledge is a key. And that key open realms. So there are, there are places you only enter through knowledge. There are places you will not enter by believing for a breakthrough. There are places, I'm telling you, you can pray passionately for five hours without knowledge, praying the wrong prayer. There are places you won't enter by going to the mountain. There are realms of God you can only enter by knowledge. And sometimes you find someone has this knowledge in part. They can actually not be in the wrong, but their knowledge is not sufficient. I can show you. Let's look at an example of someone who had this. Acts chapter 18. Verse, give me verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Uh -huh. This man had, be, had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. 
So, meaning, even in terms of results, his results were only going to go as far as the baptism of John. Was what he was teaching wrong? No. But he only knew the baptism of John. So meaning, if I come and the only thing I know, for example, is repentance, I can teach it very accurately. But there is also the baptism of the Spirit. So meaning, there are certain results I'll only see if I know the baptism of the Spirit and I teach it. This man was ending on baptism in the baptism of John. So it was just the message of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is coming. He didn't know the kingdom had come. Someone can end up postponing what's already yours. But look at what these people do. They did something blessed. Uh -huh. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. <laughs> hey, look what happened next. And when he desired to cross to Akecha, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Next verse. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So he was no longer talking about a Christ to come. Now he knew who the Christ was. And he could point saying, he's here, he's here, he's here. <laughs> so meaning, you can meet somebody, I, I, I'm telling you, and we've all been there, where such a wonderful person, they love the Lord. But no one has just taken them aside and explained certain things more accurately. That's why we're explaining this stuff. We're doing the healing campaign. I think this was 2015 edition. I should have been with Deacon Lastins and a few others. We went, it should have been to... Um, Chipata compound. Fidus, are you here? Are you the one who invited us there? Yeah, the, you're the one, eh? Okay. And I remember we met, was that your mother, grandmother? I, I don't, your aunt. And she had a broken leg. I, I, I remember it very well. And the sister came to take care of her and also got a broken leg. I don't know how. And so I began to explain the scriptures. I'll never forget the look on her face. I was explaining very simple, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I explained saying, look, if we're calling him our Father is in heaven, if you're in boarding school in northern province and your father is in Lusaka and you run out of resources, you can call upon your Father which art in Lusaka. You see, and he will use probably mobile money or something and he will transfer something from Lusaka so that you can enjoy in Kasama as though you were in Lusaka. And I said, now we're talking about our Father in heaven. <laughs> And, I, 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 and, I, and you know something? And I said, look, if you were, if you were, if you buy an expensive, let's say you buy a Bugatti for some strange reason. I, I don't know why I just thought about it. But listen, if you've got a Bugatti in Zambia and you need a spare part, oh my God, there's a high chance you might need to do a few transactions and import it. But if your house is right next to where they make Bugattis, you'll not really be troubled about if one part goes missing. Because it's right next to it. Now, if heaven... Now, we're not even talking about being neighbors with heaven. If God is in you. And I said, you can have a new bone today. What am I trying to say? Knowing the word of the Lord more accurately. So now let's look at the truth. I've, I've, I've shown you what a fact is. I've shown you what a lie is. But what's, what's the truth? According to the scriptures. I tried my best to read about 200 verses that talked about the truth. Or 206. And I found one that, I found two that just amazed me. Psalm 119. If you finish this chapter of Psalms, I congratulate you. Verse 160. 
Uh, imagine someone has told themselves, I'll read a chapter a day. Then on one day, they read those chapters for seven verses. Then they find Psalm 119. <laughs> 150 verses. Okay, let's go. Now, what is the truth? One, two, three, let's read. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Let's read it from the Amplified Version. Ha. One, two, three. Let's read. The sum of your words is truth. The total of the full meaning of all your individual precepts. And every one of your righteous decrees endures forever. It says the entirety of your word. The entirety. The sum total. Precept upon precept. Rightly dividing. There's a lot of mathematics. It says the entirety of your word is truth. The entirety of your word is truth. When you understand that, you realize that that's why the Bible says, study to show yourself approved to God, right? A workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because scriptures can be misused. I was reading in the book of Corinthians, it should be 2 Corinthians, and I was reading where we are told about how According to the scriptures, there are men who use them deceitfully. I'm telling you, you want to be this end-time believer who work mighty things, you can't survive your faith just knowing one verse. Come on. You can do better. When the truth has been revealed to you, you can do better. It says the entirety of your word is truth. Make it a goal to grow in the knowledge of truth. And if you didn't know, that's the purpose of church. Some people think the purpose of having a pastor is to solve your problems. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what it says. It says, give it to me, Ephesians uh, 4 verse 11. He gave some apostles, teachers, pastors, prophets, evangelists for the perfecting or for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Then look at what he goes on to say. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's God's aim. That's where he wants you to reach. That's the level he wants you to be at. Let's stop settling for what, less than what God desires. So it says, the entirety of your word is truth. You don't have to have the calling of a pastor for you to grow in the knowledge of truth. It's for everyone. That's why if you find, maybe you've got a believer in your class, and that, you've got that person who just knows all the scriptures, stop nicknaming them Abusa. Let me tell you why. No, let me tell you why. Sometimes people give those nicknames because they're insecure about their position. They know that as a believer, they should be at a higher level spiritually. So what they're indirectly trying to say is that only a pastor should know scriptures like this. Instead, just ask them, what's your secret? What's your study plan? It says the entirety of your word is truth. And the entirety of the word, we know that the word is a person. Revealed in the scriptures. Because the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so Jesus makes another statement. These are the two statements that really caught my attention on the truth. In John 14 verse 6. Let's start from verse 5. Thomas said to him, Jesus is like, there's somewhere I'm going. Then it just had to be Thomas who said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And what does Jesus say? Come on, we know this one. Jesus said to him, everybody, let's go. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And that's why if the scriptures are not pointing to, to Jesus, you may be having trouble using them. 
If you can read the scriptures and they are not pointing you to Jesus, the simple thing, just get help. Do you remember that Ethiopian eunuch? Do you remember what he said? The Ethiopian eunuch turns to, the, the man just, he was just humble. Isaiah came and said, do you understand what you're reading? The guy just said, how can I understand without somebody explaining them to me? Let me tell you why I say so. Because there's a group of people called the Pharisees who persecuted Jesus using the scriptures. <laughs> Look at this. John 5 verse 39. Jesus tells them, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And yet these are they which testify of me. So where are the scriptures pointing to? In totality they come to the fullness of someone called the word and the word is truth. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why what Jesus said is absolute. Jesus is the will of God in the flesh. Let me say that again, in case you didn't hear me. Jesus, when he manifested, the Bible says the word became flesh. And tabernacled among us. And we're told in Hebrews that he's the exact radiance of the Father. So if you want to know the will of God, Jesus is the will of God in the flesh. That's why when the man came to him and said, Lord, if you are willing, heal me. The moment he said it, the will of God on earth was settled once and for all. He's willing. He said, I am willing. In case anybody has been thinking, maybe for you he's not willing, he's willing. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing his mind. Listen, he's not going to change his mind about who he is. When he said, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, he still means whosoever. So that reveals to you the will of God. It's, it's whosoever. It's anybody. Because he's the will of God in the flesh. So everything that you saw him do on earth, he casted out devils, he taught, he preached, he led people to the kingdom. That's the will of God. He's the will of God in the flesh. And this will is revealed in the scriptures. It's revealed in the scriptures. And I was explaining on Wednesday that you have to grow skillfully in understanding them. Because the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. But the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And what is it all pointing to? Jesus. And there's a lot we get about who we are. There's a lot we get about who we were when you read the Old. Righteousness like filthy rags, all that. And it, it helps you appreciate what Jesus really became for our sake. And then there's a lot we get about who we are, especially when we read the epistles. Why? Because Jesus himself said, I can't tell you everything because you're hard of hearing. But when the Spirit comes, he will make all these things known to you. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would, would bring greater revelation because the people were not saved. They weren't going to bear if they were being told you're a new creation, a species that has never existed before. So Jesus is the way. He's also the truth. So what he said about something, that's what it is. That's why you notice Jesus made a lot of corrections. He would say things like, you have heard it was said. You have heard it was said. But now I say, what was he establishing? The truth. He was establishing God's will about everything. He established his will, for example, about marriage. Remember, they came and said, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? And the Jews in those days would really divorce their wives for any reason. I'm telling you, she didn't cook well, divorced. This and this, divorced. They would, they would divorce for any reason. And then he comes and says, it was not so in the beginning. And he said, have you not read? And they're like, but Moses told us to do this. Like, Moses told you to do that because of the hardness of your hearts. Like, hey. <laughs> Praise God, we don't have hard hearts, eh? Because the Bible says it will give you a heart of flesh. For me, understanding this, if there is something that it helped set me free from, it's the opinions of men. You can never be everybody's choice. You can never be everyone's favorite. Someone will find a reason for anything. <laughs> Trust me, I've had a lot of excuses. Being a young preacher, there's somebody who came to me and said, I can't listen to you because you're young. I asked, how about that other guy who's old? Why aren't you listening to him? They mean they've just got a problem. 
I'm telling you, everyone has an opinion. Just because you work miracles, they mean God is with you. Just because you don't work miracles, they mean God is with you. I don't know if you're getting my point. The, everyone has an opinion, but you shall know the truth. The truth makes you free. There's a lot of context we can put this in, but let me try to be a bit disciplined. So what is the truth? The truth is the accurate knowledge of God's word. Think about this. With this knowledge, you know God's intentions, his plans, reasoning, his thoughts, and you know his will. And this truth, it comes by revelation. Don't you remember Jesus walking with the gentleman? And then the Bible says he opened their eyes. He opened their minds and they understood what the scriptures said. Suddenly, Peter is linking Joel, he's linking this, he's linking this, and he's talking about Christ. Don't you think Isaiah used to look crazy in his day? Because Isaiah was there 600 years before Jesus, something like that. And then Isaiah is talking, and he's not even talking in past tense, in future tense, he's talking in present tense. He starts saying, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Imagine, he's talking in present tense, somebody who was to come 600 years from now. And if you read in the book of Matthew, when Jesus healed many people, Matthew wrote, this was to fulfill what was written by the prophet Isaiah. That he has carried our sorrows, and he has borne our sicknesses. It's where you get to understand God's intentions, his heart, his mindset. And when you read the gospel according to Jesus, which you can find in John 3.16, there are certain things that are settled forever. One of the things is that God loved, meaning he's, in, he's always loved us. He says, for God so loved the world. It wasn't his hatred for sin that made him send Jesus. It's his love for us. And in John 3.16, you see what God decided. Our salvation didn't come as free as people think. No, it wasn't free. Ju mercy on us meant judgment on Jesus. The day you learn that, you appreciate him. But the day you learn that, you also know that The best way to appreciate a gift is to use it. Let me tell you what I mean. Um, last week, Sunday, after church, there are some people who came to my office, and they said, we've got something for you. It's a belated birthday present. They said, oh, what is it? And it was this. Okay? It was this suit, eh? And... I can tell you something. When I walked in, you should have seen the look on their faces. They were trying to hide it, trying to be professional, like, no, you know, we're just, we're just blessing the Lord. You know, we're just here to protocol you. You should have seen the look of, on their faces. Why? Because the best way to say thank you for a gift is to use it. I'm telling you, that's the best way to say thank you for a gift. So God gives you the gift of righteousness. You still want to live, think, and call yourself a sinner. What? That's an insult to his gift. It's a free gift that he's given you. It's a free gift. That's why if you're to insult someone's child, see the reaction of the parents. Try, you call somebody's child a dog, you think their parents will just watch you. Why? Because they got their genes. They, got their, they inherited the nature from them. I'm telling you, the day you understand that, you will stop going before God and saying, Father, I'm a grasshopper before you. Because you're calling him a bigger grasshopper. You're calling him senior chief of the grasshoppers. But guess what he calls himself? He calls himself king of kings. Who do you think the kings are? He calls himself Lord. Lord of lords. Align yourself with what God has said about you. That's submission. It's when you align. Someone grew up their entire life, their surname was Banda. They were Banda. 
they marry, they get married to somebody whose surname is, oh my, I've run out of surnames. <laughs> so they get married to somebody whose surname is Samson or something like that. It doesn't matter how their entire life their surname has been banda. The moment they've married that person, they now have the right to use that surname. And the person would be a bit offended if you're not using it. And if you don't change, nowadays, you know, nowadays, within one hour, Facebook name, you change of that. <laughs> like, between the, the reception and, <laughs> and the wedding, <laughs> Zina, you change. <laughs> Praise God. Now, what does truth do? I'll tell you two things. Number one, it sanctifies. It makes holy. John 17, verse 17. Jesus is praying for us. I find it amazing. We don't see many scriptures where Jesus' prayers are recorded. Because he prayed a lot in private. But this prayer was recorded for us. There must be something special about it. You should read the entire John 17. He even defined eternal life. He said it's knowing God. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your mind keeps thinking a certain way. Bombard it with the word. Bombard it. Assort it. Like, <laughs> assort it with the word of God. Bombard it with the word of God. What is it doing? It's sanctifying. You've been addicted to, maybe you're addicted, you found yourself watching illicit material. Bombard yourself with the word of God. The word of God makes you innocent again. Bombard yourself. Bombard yourself. Don't stop fighting. The word of God sanctifies. It makes holy. Look at what Jesus says in John 15 verse 3. He says, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Can you imagine the word of God cleanses? If you've read Ephesians, is it 5.26? It says, being washed by the water of the word. It should be 5.26, eh? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. As you're hearing the word, as the word of God is coming to you this morning, you're being cleansed, you're being sanctified. You're being made holy. Because the word of God makes you what it talks about. It makes you what it's talking about. You'll find it interesting that, do you know one reason why the Pharisees were offended at Jesus? Have you ever read scriptures such as where he said, you've heard it has been said, do not commit adultery. But even if you look at a woman lustful, you've committed adultery in your heart. Have you ever observed that Jesus never shared such scriptures with tax collectors and prostitutes? Have you noticed that usually the audience was Pharisees? Because they thought they were righteous in themselves. So he was trying to show them, oh, you think you're righteous. There's also this. Oh, you think there's this level. Even if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. But to those who knew every, there are those who came to him knowing that, they would come to him knowing they are sinners. They would come to him knowing that they can't save themselves. Notice what he preached to them. It was different. That's why they were offended at him. So maybe some came here expecting to be whipped and torn off and all this and all that. But I'm telling you, the word of God sanctifies, it makes holy. I've tried both styles. I've seen which one works. I, uh, don't mess with me. Eh? <laughs> I, I know what messages are. <laughs> A message could not end without, if you are here, and you're doing this. You are going and then I will do, to hell. Turn around. Have you noticed, for example, that most people, this is my own experience, so it could be a subjective view, but a lot of people get saved at funerals. It doesn't really last. I know, I know some of my friends who got saved at my dad's funeral. 
Oh, one week later. You know why? They're not necessarily looking unto Jesus. They're looking unto Porfin. So they're being told, do you see that person there? You will join them. <laughs> like, and you know, sometimes preachers can go out of their way. I, I, I really hope we can reduce on that because I, I don't think they know how much authority they have in their voice. Some of you on your way home, some of you it might be to go, eh. <laughs> but then the next day the guy notices he's alive. The next day he's alive. Ah, before you know it, it's gone. And you know one of the reasons for that as well? Sometimes it's also because we've misunderstood John 3.16. Most of us read John 3.16 as, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not go to hell but go to heaven. That's not what it says. You know the trouble is reading it like that. You make salvation only relevant for the afterlife. But the day you understand that what you really receive is eternal life and it starts now. It's not only relevant after you die. No, 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 no. It's relevant in the now. What are they even talking about? <laughs> the word of God sanctifies. It makes holy. I've been pastoring this past period. My greatest concern usually for a person is not usually when I hear a bad report. My greatest concern is when I stop seeing them at church. Because I know what the word of God can do to them. I know that the word of God is the only solution. You can't run away from the hospital because you didn't follow the doctor's instructions. Go back. Those who are watching and you stopped coming, come back. We've missed you. I hope somebody is getting my point. Don't go far from the word. The word is truth. So it sanctifies. It makes holy. It makes clean. Praise God. And which one makes clean? The word of his grace. That's why it says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you your inheritance among the sanctified. Imagine, it's saying it gives you your inheritance among the holy ones. Hey, somebody say, I'm among the holy ones. I'm among the saints. It's important to talk like that. Next, and which is the final one for today, it makes you free. Now, John 8, verse 31. I want you to look at this. How many of you would like to be a disciple? This is the secret to being a disciple. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, because there were some who didn't believe, so he told them, you are children of your father, the devil. But then there were some who believed. And it says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, if you abide, if you stay, if you, if, if you dwell, if you tabernacle in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You know the aim of a disciple is to be as good as the master. Is to produce the same results the master produces. Uh-huh. Then what does he say? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The ultimate deliverance comes from knowing the truth. That's why sometimes you find the same people asking for prayer for the same issue. I'll give you an example. And I'll just be honest with you. And I, I, I mean it. Every person who's come to me and told me, Pastor, pray for me. I have a gener I'm under a generational curse. Everyone who's come to me and told me that, usually I'm not the first one they've come to and I'm usually not the last. They never really know when they're free. I'm telling you, I'm usually not the last. I'm usually not the first. Because is it possible that Satan can be fighting someone in their family? Yes, it is. What's the best way to deal with it? First, they know the truth. You can't fight what you're under. Recognize that you're blessed. 
You can't fight what you're under. Listen, if you leave this place believing you are under a curse, but also under Christ, then I'm not doing my job. Then I'm not doing my job. If you leave this meeting thinking that there's any altar you have to raise greater than the altar Christ raised, my friend, when he said it is finished, <sighs> I don't know about you, but listen, there's a scripture. Let me tell you why I started talking like this. I'll tell you why, and I'll be very honest with you. I was telling the ministers. There's a scripture that touches me where Paul tells the church, he's talking about communion. He said, for I delivered to you what was delivered to me. Why should I expect the word of God to work any less in your life than it has worked in mine? If I believe, no, listen, if I believe that after I encountered the word of God, I grew up knowing that by the time I reached 15, 16, I'll probably have diabetes because everyone in my family will get it when they're 15, 16. We, we all knew. So I started preparing myself for that when I was about 12, 13. Or younger. We all knew it. It was a fact. Every, every, everyone. And then I got saved. And when I got saved, I had a dream that this spirit came and was trying to like put diabetes in me. And I fought it. And so I got up. And when I got up, I went to, I went to speak. Um, I, I went to speak to Pastor Mulele. And I was like, guess what? I defeated it. There's this thing that came. I wanted to give it a bit. And I managed to defeat it in the dream. And I thought he would tell me, young man, you're doing fine. Even in dreams, you're fighting. Guess what he told me? It changed my life forever. He told me, even if in the dream, it put that in you, when you that was not going to change what the word of God has said about you. <laughs> ah! My God, listen. I believe in dreams. I've had some of my greatest instructions through dreams. But dreams do not edit the scriptures. They don't. Am I saying believers are not in warfare? Of course we are. And guess what our weapon is? The word of God. If you've studied the, the, the armor of God, all of it is the scriptures. All of it is the word. The belt of truth. That's the first one. And do you know something about the belt of truth? If you study a Roman soldier, the belt was where everything rested. The shield, the sword, it was on the belt. So can you imagine if the truth is not intact, no matter how a person prays, how will they be successful in their warfare? He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The reason he didn't say shall set you free is because Jesus already set you free. He already set you free. He already set you free. I'll give you an example of this. I want you to imagine there's, there's this thing called, how many of you have heard of? I think it's called a prerogative of mercy. Have I, have I, have I said it rightly? What this means is this. The president of our nation has got power to decide that someone who the judge decided is a prisoner is no longer a prisoner. And that person can be set free. I'm sure you've noticed this happens a lot on Independence Day and such things. If I'm not mistaken, Captain Solo received the prerogative of mercy eh? when he was still alive. Now, I want you to imagine this. Here is a gentleman who's been told he's been given a life sentence. And while he's been given a life sentence, he's there in prison. He's got no access to news. He's got no access to all those things. The president is moved in his heart and decides this person comes out. The day the president signs it, because I think something is signed, the day his name is written and is signed, he's already been set free. But you find he will think like a prisoner. He'll have no plans, no hope for the future. As far as he's concerned, his life is prison, 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 prison. And then can you imagine some clown comes to him and tells him, you will never be free. Some clown comes to him and tells him, just take your life. You Things have ended. Forget every plan. Not knowing that somebody somewhere else has signed. My friend, the day the news is delivered to him, the day the story is told to him, the day the second letter is brought to him, the day he hears, 
He may not be out of the prison yet. He may not have worked out yet because there are clearances and all those things. But he is different from everybody else. You may not have found yourself out of that situation yet. But listen, the day you hear the news, the day the story is told of what Jesus Christ of Nazareth did for you, the day the news is told, the first thing that comes back is hope. Suddenly there is hope for the hopeless. Suddenly there is hope. And he said, listen, in 10 days time you're out. Suddenly he can plan what to do on the 11th day. And his plan is not limited to the prison. He can plan to say, I'll go for lunch. He can plan to say, I'll go to arcades. Of course, he will need to learn how to live life as a free man. But I'll tell you, the day he is told, he's made free. He's different from everybody else. He'll think differently from everybody else. He stops thinking like a prisoner. Why? Because he knows the truth. And if somebody comes and mocks him and says, you and we are together, you're like, oh, you don't know what I know. You don't know what I know. And everybody else comes and they find him excited, keeps celebrating and all that thing. And maybe everyone keeps coming. Maybe everybody else is, for example, let's say this is in Namibia. Everybody else in the prison is from the opposition. And then they're just surprised. This guy just loves the president. Why? He doesn't know what he knows. <laughs> that in 10 days time, come on somebody. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. So I've got a question for you. That which you believe, who told you? That which you believe, who said it? What is their authority? What has Jesus said about you? I choose to believe the word of God. The Apostle Paul said something interesting. He said, let God be true and every man be a liar. Let God be true and every man be a liar. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like every eye closed for a moment. I've got a question. Are you born again? Are you saved? You may have been told a lie. That you have to go out and work on yourself first. Then maybe when you've worked on yourself, you can come and God will accept you. The truth is that Jesus worked on your behalf. I want to give an opportunity to somebody. You may even have been like Nicodemus. You may have grown up religious, but you've never given your life to Jesus. Jesus is calling you now. I'm speaking to you on behalf of God. Come to the knowledge of truth come to salvation you may have strayed far away God wants to restore you today this decision that you've made is wonderful feel free join them here I want you to raise your hands and with boldness I want you to say after me say Lord Jesus I believe you are the son of God I have heard the gospel and I declare you to be Lord over my life. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And from this moment, I am saved. Keep your hands lifted. Just close your eyes for a moment. Help me pray for them. Pray for each of them.